Welcome to Compress.fm, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest. Today's episode is a little special because we're continuing to document James's rebrand. James asked me to redesign his site. A few weeks ago, we shared the initial consult, but in today's episode, this is part two. So we talk about the proposal process and walk through an actual mood board. My name is Amy Dutton, and I'm a UI UX designer and front-end developer. And my name is James Hewick. I'm a JavaScript developer, speaker, and teacher, and I need design help. <laughs> <laughs> Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compress. This week, we have three fantastic sponsors. Dato CMS is a performant headless CMS. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. And Zeal is a software consultancy. They design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. They're a remote-first company even before the pandemic. They're based out of Southern Oregon, but I live outside of Nashville, and we have team members across the entire country. But Zeal holds a special place in my heart because, as I mentioned, I work there, but I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring, so you could work with me. At Zeal, one of our core principles is bridge the gap. So we've noticed there's a gap in the industry between juniors and seniors. So we want to help juniors level up and achieve that next level within their career path. So with that in mind, I'm going to highlight a particular job that we're hiring for right now, and I'm super stoked about this. It's called the Software Residency, and this position is specifically for that junior designer or developer that wants to be mentored and level up and eventually become a senior. So this position is all about becoming that unicorn, for lack of a better word, but it's that person that can do UI, UX, and development. So similar to a medical residency, you'll be partnered actually with me, and we'll work together on projects. We'll also be partnering with Learn, which is a coding boot camp, and they'll provide career growth and professional development through one-on-one coaching. So I think the whole setup is pretty unique. You can find more information on the website, softwareresidency.com. And of course, I'll include a link within the show notes. Special thanks to Zeal for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. James, what have you been up to? Uh, Yeah. So I've been uh, spending a lot of time on TikTok recently, consuming and creating now. So I'm trying to create a TikTok video every day during the week, which is it's just a fun, creative outlet. I've always said I wanted more personality and humor in my YouTube videos. And I feel like TikTok is the perfect place to do that. So I've been doing like developer satire type stuff. And I did this one talking about centering text in a div. And I meant to clarify like horizontally and vertically, but it was basically like the designer is asking a developer before CSS Grid and Flexbox to center something. And they're like, well, do we really need that? I mean, maybe not. And they're like, no, we really do. And they're like, okay, well, I'll have that to you in two months because of how difficult that used to be before Flexbox and Grids. Anyway, it's been fun just to, again, add humor and personality and rethink the way I film some of my videos because I've never done this like back and forth conversational stuff or very rarely in YouTube. It's just me. So me pretending to be two different people is kind of fun and quirky and weird and hopefully funny. So yeah, I've been having fun myself doing that. Amy, what about you? So we've been trying to get back into a new routine as the kids have started back to school. My son is in second grade, so it's kind of old hat for him. But my oldest daughter is starting kindergarten. So she's had just half days this past week and starts full time tomorrow. My youngest daughter is going to start kindergarten next year. And I feel like at that point we'll have finally arrived. I will have been waiting eight years (laughs) to get them all to school. Anyways. So is that like pre-kindergarten there at home with someone all day? So Emma does go to preschool two days a week. 
So okay. on Tuesdays and Thursdays, she's gone 9 to 2.30, which... So you're just ready to take them out. Just get rid of them. Get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. They do love school, so that makes it easier to send them off. Good. Let's get into it. We are recording this episode live through Twitch, which is pretty exciting since we'll have people in the chat and can answer questions as we go. So on Twitch, I can share my screen and you'll be able to see the proposal. But for the podcast, check out the show notes. I'll include a link to the proposal and you'll see exactly what I delivered. The only difference is that I've redacted the cost and the page for our signatures and addresses. If you're a newsletter subscriber, I'll also include a link to a template of this proposal. So feel free to use it however you see fit. If you're not a newsletter subscriber, you can be. Just go to compress.fm and register. I've used a bunch of proposals over the years. And the big thing with proposals is just trying to find that sweet spot. And it's evolved from what I started with when I first started doing freelance. So at the beginning, I would outline exactly how many pages I was going to produce, how many designs that they would see. I would just list everything out. So it seemed like I was doing a whole bunch of work and I would line itemize how I was going to spend every single hour. And one of the things that I found was that clients would start to push back a little bit. Like I might include five hours for meetings and I would get feedback of, well, what if I don't have any meetings with you? What if I just email you? How will that affect the price? Mm -hmm. Or I would build in my magic number of multiplying everything by 1.5 or two. And then they would say, well, what if we don't do that? What if we're able to stay under budget? What happens to my time then? And so by raising up those nitty gritty details, I would get pushback because then my, yeah. yeah, my clients would get nitty gritty about it. And that's not what I wanted. You know, I wanted them to trust me and trust the process and trust the estimation that I've done this before and I know what I'm doing. So as I've evolved this proposal, one of the things I've tried to focus on is the value because that's really why you're coming to me is to receive value and to receive my expertise. So that's really what I tried to focus on through this process. Yeah, I could definitely see. I mean, I would start to have some of those questions, I think, if I saw that level mm -hmm. of details. But at that point, all that stuff would be estimates in terms of where your hours would be spent and stuff. And one of the things you clarified with what you sent over to me is this is a quote, not an estimate. The price that you sent is all the work, regardless of how many hours of meetings or whatever we spend together, unless I somehow did some obnoxious <laughs> amount of time required from you or something like that. So that for me, I really like because I think a lot of people, especially my family grew up where you're always skeptical of people and you feel like if it's time based, you feel like you're getting overcharged. So I like to know mm -hmm. how much something is upfront and just run with that. Yeah, I do too. I just kind of get nervous anytime I send my lawyer something because I have no idea mm -hmm. how much time how, she's yeah. going to take. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I'm sending her a carte blanche check, like, you know, whatever. Take as much money I, as you. Yeah. Right. Take as long as you want to write this email. Yeah. Um, it's just so frustrating. And then I get their timesheets and it says spent 0.25 hours on this or whatever. I would rather receive the value. I'm coming to mm -hmm. you because I want your service, not because I want your time. So we did a freelance part one and a freelance part two episode. I'll include links to those in the show notes, but we talk about different pricing structures. And so the pricing structure that I used is a hybrid model where I go through and I determine, okay, this is how much time I think it's going to take. This is how much I charge per hour. And so this is how much your project is going to cost. And from that, that's it. Unless something goes crazy over in scope, that's the cost. And I like that. I feel like clients are comfortable with that for the reasons that you outlined. Other people will do time-based and that's fine. The only issue is if you're doing freelance full-time, if you're not working, you're not getting paid. And so I know that that can be frustrating for some people. At least for me, that caused some pains because I felt like I had to be working all the time. It just wasn't healthy. 
So we can dive in a little bit and just talk through this. And again, if you want to review it in detail, you're more than welcome to check out the link in the show notes. But the first thing that I always like to do is I call it a situation appraisal where I talk about this is your current situation. This is why you're coming to me. And these are some of the assumptions that I'm making. And this just gets us on the same page. It ensures that I understand what he's looking for and I can identify some of the problems and how we might go about solving that. Did we say the episode number for when we talked about this beforehand, where we did the exploratory? It was actually a live stream as well. And so Amy asked a lot of details of not just what do I want, but what are the problems that I'm trying to solve? And a big part of the walk away with that is I'm trying to bring some excitement and energy and personality to the website, but also ultimately to have a funnel, to have people come to my site for a reason, then have other reasons for them to stay and eventually lead to either course sales or ebook sales or newsletter signups, like a few different CTAs to make sure that I'm leveraging the time that people have on the site to make sure that they see what I think is most important for them to see. That's right. It is episode number 18, if you want to check out the original design consult. So when you talk about just the progression in terms of business, you want to identify the problems and then talk about your objectives and then how you'll measure success. You don't really know success unless you define it up front. And so for us, a big measure of success here is just the time on the site and then conversions. How many people are converting to newsletter subscribers and how many people are purchasing courses? So on my end, it's hard for me to measure success because I don't necessarily have metrics unless the client is willing to provide those to me after the fact. So if you are doing freelance, you might want to build that into your contract that you have insight into those pieces on the back end and that you have the type of relationship with your client that they're willing to share that information. Yeah, and those are interesting numbers. This is part of the evolution for me as a a marketer and an entrepreneur is starting to pay attention to those types of things because I want to increase exactly what you just said, like converting people to subscribers and purchases. But I have no idea what the conversion rates are now. And I don't particularly know how I would measure that just looking at Google Analytics per month and then increase in course sales and signups. Maybe that's what it comes down to, but that's just a little bit out of my expertise now. So it's something I need to learn. So this is a great conversation point for me because I can make a note and say that that's something that I can help set up. And on Google Analytics, you can actually set up different funnels and pieces like that. And you can see how people are traveling through your site. They'll create Mm -hmm. this like funnel graph where they'll show this is where a majority of the people are clicking on your page so that you can help optimize those funnels. Cool. Yeah, that would be great. This is so much more valuable than you visually designing something like these conversations and then being able to tie that back to metrics and what mm-hmm. what success looks like is really valuable. Yeah. And for people that are out there listening and trying to figure out how you break into freelance, that is one huge differentiating factor that comes into play is that you're no longer just creating a design or doing development. That's a commoditized service. I mean, not anybody can do that, but a lot of people can do that. But as soon as you can differentiate yourself and sell somebody on strategy, you can start to charge a little bit more, but also you provide a higher value to your clients. I also on the self teach me site and then on compressed FM, I've also been using a third party analytics tool called fathom. And that's by Paul Jarvis. And he created that because he was tired of Google tracking everything and knowing everything that was going on. And so to provide a more privacy-centric form of analytics, his solution was to create his own with Fathom. So that might be another solution that we could look at here in order to track your success. Cool. And now it's time to take a second to talk about one of our sponsors, which is Dato CMS. Dato CMS is a complete and performant headless CMS 
built to offer the best developer experience and user friendliness in the market. One of the things I think is really interesting and neat on their website is if you hover on their wide data CMS tab in the nav bar, you see sections for developers, digital markers, and content creators. So it's got the entire audience covered. They also provide a rich CDN-powered GraphQL API with real-time updates, which is really neat. So all of you who love working with GraphQL and are looking for something that has real-time updates, this is really, really cool. They also provide a super flexible way to handle dynamic layouts and structured content and then have best in-class image and video support with progressive image loading out of the box. So if you're looking for a headless CMS that can help represent every member of your team, make sure to check out Dato CMS. So then the next piece is just talking about value to the organization. And in here, the organization is James, but talking about just some of the future marketing and growth opportunities that he would have and how that plays out practically speaking. For example, making it easier for him to create course landing pages and convert users to students. So that was a piece that came out of the original consult that we had and that he wanted to templatize those landing pages and really help funnel users and to convert them to be students. And another piece that I think has really high value within the new site is being able to create landing pages for, say, lead magnets or speaking engagements. So if James goes over to a speaking event, then he can say from stage, hey, if you like what I said, I have a lead magnet that kind of walks you through that outline, go through and download it or review it or whatever, just go to this link. And so that will help generate more newsletter subscriptions for him. So the next piece in the proposal is just talking about recommendations. And I did get a little bit more nitty gritty in this part. And I think that there's a balance when you're writing proposals in that you want the client to be able to see the parts that you're building out, give yourself room for growth, but also limiting scope. And so it's this weird balancing act of, I don't want you to get too into the details about the exact pages that we're going to build, but I also want to define the scope so that tasks and pages pieces don't get tacked on to the end. Yeah, this would be my way of sneaking on at the end. Oh, I forgot about these 15 other pages. That would be great if you just do it for me, which happens like in every sort of product. We just had a bunch of trees cut down. And as they were wrapping up, I didn't do this to them. But in my head, I was like, "Mm, you know, it'd be really nice if they did this other thing, too. (laughs) And I think that it happens with everyone in those types of situations. So it's so good to be able to lock that down from the beginning. And then maybe having an addendum at the end to say, if you need extra pages, it'll be this amount per page after that. That's right. I will share this within the newsletter and the description, but I have a change request so that if somebody does come on the back end, you can change the scope of the project, but it also outlines risks to the project. So that might be time or money and it asks for their signature so that we're both on the same page. And I've just found that by asking clients to sign that, that it means that they understand the repercussions of what they're doing and that we're all on the same page. It's not just a flippant email that says, Hey, add this in. As a creator, as a freelancer, one of the things that I've consistently struggled with is as I'm designing or building something thinking, oh man, it'd be awesome if they had this functionality. And so a lot of times scope creep doesn't necessarily come from the client. Scope seep, where I seep in features. (laughs) And that becomes just as problematic. And the thing that I've learned over time is that I think, oh, the client will love this but they don't see that value a lot of times unless they're necessarily paying for it or unless I tell them about it. And sometimes that scope seep will cause further problems in the future because it does affect the timeline or I become frustrated that I'm creating a feature that they don't see the value for. They're not technically paying for. And it's just not beneficial to either party. 
if you want to throw in any additional work for free, then go for it. (laughs) Go for it. No problem. So a few other things that we included on top of the actual pages is creating just a more holistic branding package. So things like recommendations for a light and dark theme or branded code snippets to be able to share on social media or social media templates or YouTube overlays and lower thirds and pieces like that. So I've included that here as well. And then, of course, I'm assuming, and this is in the assumptions portion of this proposal, that James will be doing all the development on this particular project. So if I were doing the development, there would be more details about what that process would look like. Although you know how this happened last time I asked you to design something <laughs> for me is you went and built it anyway. So we'll see what yes, happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Contractually, we'll you're what not required to, but Steve looks like. <laughs> yeah. I did want to add to you got the section there for expanded branding packages to include the light and dark theme, branded code snippets, social media templates, and YouTube templates for title screens, lower thirds, that sort of stuff. For people that are kind of thinking about their brand, one of the things that I think is most important for a brand is that it's consistent across the different formats of media that you create or websites that you have, that sort of stuff. And so I'm really excited about these templates for sharing on Twitter. I know certain people who post code snippets and lots of us do this, but they take it to the next level and embed that code snippet into some sort of branded template so that you immediately see the picture itself, not even knowing who posted it. And after a while, you start to know who posted it because you're used to that brand. So those sort of little things I'm excited about tying together all the different things that I do in a one cohesive brand. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the Nathan Berry show, his podcast. He was interviewing a designer. And again, I can include a direct link to this within the show notes. But the designer, his whole job was just to do pitches. It was really fascinating. He would just do all these pitches for the company and travel around the country, speaking to different potential clients and pitching them. And then he would go on to the next pitch. So he wasn't actually executing on the work, but just pitching them on the particular company. But one of the things that they talked about was that his pitches were very templatized so that it got to the point where you could just see a deck and know that this particular designer was the person pitching. And he was just saying a lot of times people want to create something new every time that they design something, which I've been guilty of. You just want it to have this unique feel to that particular brand that you're working with. But he just made the point that there's so much value in building up that branding so that if you just see a particular typeface, like I can see a commercial on TV and know that it's Crate and Barrel or based on the style and the white and the red that it's Target. And I can be like walking through the airport and see a sign, not even have to see that it's Delta, but know based on that typeface that it's Delta or it's Southwest. And those branding cues are really important as you're thinking about growing as a creator and making sure that people recognize you. It's creating all that cohesiveness. So I think that's really what we're trying to do here is to lean into that brand, not create something new every single time, but create these formulas for recognition. Absolutely. So the next big section of the proposal that I walked through here was the methodology and phases. And so this just helps James know what to expect as we work on the project, talking about design and what I will do. So I'll provide a mood board and that will allow us to explore design considerations before any pixels are put to screen. And we talked about this a little bit with the freelancing episodes, but a lot of times my clients don't always understand design concepts. It's nothing against them. It's the fact that I have a formal design education and they don't. And so being able to help walk them through that by looking at something visually puts us on the same playing field or playing level because we're looking at an image together and talking about what we like and we don't like. So I have the mood board. We'll talk about that 
in the next phase after we finish talking through their proposal. And then the second piece of that is I'll provide mock-ups for the site. So I'm going to include desktop and mobile views. And then typically what I'll do is I'll only provide one design option with two revisions. So I've found early on, I was creating three different options for clients. And they seem to like that because they could kind of choose the direction, pick what they liked and didn't like. What inevitably happened was I would save good ideas for each mock-up. I would think of something, I'm like, oh, I'll save that for another mock-up. That way they all have some strong element. And at the end, the client would end up saying, well, I like this piece of this one, this <laughs> piece of this one, and this piece of this one. And then we would end up Frankensteining a design together. And so it got to the point where I realized I could take all of my good ideas and put it towards one mock-up and we work in a single direction together. And the idea of the mood board is that there's no surprises in that initial design. We've already talked through the direction of it. And so that one design ends up being very strong. Whereas before it was a very weak final design because it was Frankenstein together. And another piece is project timing. So again, just with the proposal, you want to make sure that you're defining all aspects of the project and really managing expectations. So here I told James that I was available to start working on this August 1st. And this is a little tidbit. <laughs> if you are working on a proposal and you tell somebody I can start today, you seem a little desperate. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been told to always start at least two weeks from when you're submitting the proposal. And the truth of the matter is they need time to review the proposal anyways and get paperwork out of the way. So even if they greenlit everything, it would still take a few days and you wouldn't be able to start the same day that you submitted the proposal. It's funny that that factored in here. <laughs> <laughs> it was two weeks. Again, along those same lines are just making sure that the client understands the factors that affect the completion. So making sure that they understand if they're going to be slow to respond, that's going to affect the timeline. And then, of course, there could be potential unforeseen circumstances like illnesses or family emergencies and just making sure that we understand we're both people in this. I have three more sections. So this particular section is called joint accountabilities. And it's just making sure that I outline my role in this project. And I outline what I expect James to do in this project and then how we'll work together. So again, I try to operate off of the zero surprises project management to make sure that there's no surprises along the way. And that goes with just scheduling and facilitating meetings and updating him on the project progress. And I think that that's where a lot of projects just collapse is I will say, it looks like I go into a cave and I start working. The client doesn't really know what I'm doing. They're not really familiar with the process. And if you're working with a larger organization, a boss could come to my contact and say, where are we on this? They have no idea. Mm -hmm. So then they start to get freaked out and they start to micromanage the project. Whereas if I had just maintained open lines of communication throughout the entire project, it alleviates all that stress. And that's true, like even outside of freelance as well. Like I think it's especially true here as an individual, but working a full-time job at a company, it's the exact same principles. That's why we have the idea of agile and stand-up is to have that mm -hmm. touch point every day or at least every week to have people know where you are. And I think the biggest issue I've seen between teams and upper management versus like individual contributors is that lack of transparency. If I think something's going to take longer than other people think it will, I'm shouting that to the rooftop because I don't want someone else's opinion on time to be held to truth. And then me looked at as I didn't do my job because it came late, if that makes sense. So I think that level of communication and constant communication is super important freelance and or in uh, kind of a regular full-time job as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. A few more things that I outline in this 
section is just saying I'll have 48 hour response time to emails during business hours. I usually don't take 48 hours, but just to help build that and that expectation into the timeline, because I don't want a client to send me an email and then expect a response within a couple of hours. And so by giving myself that space, I will probably respond within 24 hours, but at least they know what the expectation is on the front end. Then skipping down, we have terms and conditions, and these are more of the finer points of a contractual agreement where we're outlining fees and payment terms, project scheduling. And then this is another tip for writing proposals is the expiration. And I had a client where I submitted a proposal to them. This was early on in my freelancing career. And they came to me, no joke, one or two years later, I can't quite remember, with the same proposal. And they said, we're ready to do work now. And by that time, I had drastically increased my rates. Mm -hmm. And so by having this project expiration date, it allows me to say, if you come to me later, you know, my rates may have changed or scheduling may have changed. So I'm not locked into that. So I have this listed at 14 days. The other nice piece of that is it allows me a natural follow-up point. So if I haven't heard anything from James in two weeks, I can follow up and say, hey, just when to check in and see what you're thinking, the proposal's about to expire, which is fine. We can revisit it or whatnot, but that allows me to check in with him without seeing pushy or overbearing. To your point about people coming back later on with the same proposal and your rates changing, one of the things I've kind of messed myself up on recently is I've been increasing my rates for sponsor videos on YouTube and I will talk to somebody early on and that thing not come to fruition until a few months later. And then I've honored the original price that I mentioned, even though at that point, if someone new came to me, it would be four times as much. I don't have contracts or anything that I put with sponsorships. Eventually, I probably will if I just do some more admin time to set that sort of stuff up. But I think it would have helped me in that case of making sure that my rates are up to date when I actually start doing the work. Yeah, I use a program called Harvest to track all my time. And the cool thing about Harvest is you can also submit estimates and then you can also convert those into invoices. And a client can just log in and pay through harvest and it'll flow through Stripe. I think FreshBooks probably has a similar setup. But the nice thing about that is they can just click a button if they accept or decline a proposal, but you can set up templates within those so that you don't have to type up these unique proposals every time. And I think the reason that this proposal is obviously a little bit more custom is that there's more work involved. It's very specific to what James is doing. So when you start to raise your rates and reach those higher prices, that those require a little bit more customization. With that said, I know a lot of companies will spend a lot of money trying to create these proposals, and there's no guarantee that you're going to get that. So one solution that some companies have found is to sell a client on a roadmap. And what that does is it's a smaller price point. So it might be, say, $200, and we would sit down and really scope out the project together And that way, the client is technically paying for this proposal process. So it depends on what your process is and where you are in the grand scheme of things. But for a large web application, I would most likely sell the client on a roadmap process. This is a brochure site in that it's just marketing James and what he's doing. The scope is a little bit more defined, something that I've done a thousand times. So I don't feel like that's necessary for this particular project. But for a larger project, just keep that in the back of your head. So the next part is signatures. And I'm not going to show that because I believe that has our addresses on it. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that as I was scrolling. (laughs) 
Let's take a brief break and talk about Vercel, one of our Compressed.fm sponsors. And we could not do this podcast without their support. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. And we're actually hosting the Compressed.fm site and my personal site, selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in, and then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard, and here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push the code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. So this is the mood board that I put together for James. And again, I'll include a link to this in the show notes. And I just put this together in FigJam. FigJam is a product of Figma. We actually did a whole episode on Figma. But the thing that I like about FigJam is that it's built right into Figma. And I'll be doing ultimately the design in Figma. So it's nice to keep all those pieces together. But there's plenty of different ways that you can implement this. You can do it in Pinterest. Whimsical is another great resource. You can do it in Photoshop or Illustrator. I've used all of those resources at some point. I've also dumped these into Notion and had the client comment on it. But that's really the big thing is just the ability for them to comment on something and provide their feedback and wanting to create that in a way that makes sense to them. So how I've broken this out, this part is new. James actually hasn't looked at this. Here at the top, I have sites and brands that James has mentioned. So we've talked about West Boss and how James just really likes the grunge effect, just really personality-driven developers. He has a unique style for his course pages, and I think that that's ultimately one of the biggest places for growth. We looked at Supabase and Application, and some of the things that James mentioned was he really liked the dark theme as an option and highlighting in this mint and this purple color. Uh, James does have a red in his color palette. And then just looking at some of these other influencers. So Simon Hoiberg, he's behind FeedHive. On his Instagram, he has a very specific look so that if you saw one of his posts come through, you would easily recognize it as his. He also sent a few YouTubers my way. And so looking at how they have styled their thumbnails, I wanted to include those and document them. So we have Anya, the Coder Codes. This is... Thomas Wiebenfock? Yes. I'm not, I don't know if I've ever heard his name pronounced. Like I said the other week, I think that we need a whole series on Amy can't pronounce last yeah. names. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, what is this? But we also looked at Jack McDade. So he has a very unique style with these little arrows pointing to things with commentary. Like this is my family. This is Ted Lasso. This is my favorite movie, which I think adds just this next level of personality. And you can also see that reflected in his copywriting. I write stuff. <laughs> Okay. And then we also looked at Jason Lingstorf and he had this navigation. I call it mystery navigation where when you first click on his head, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get. But there are a few people in the chat because we live streamed that podcast as well saying what they thought, whether that was easy to use or confusing. But he also has these neat whimsical features on his site where you can change the bio to the shortest bio or the longest bio, depending on what you're looking for. And I also included Josh 
uh, we talked about his last name too. Como. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the design is a little bit more simple, but there's these little features as you move across the site that are different. Taking those in mind, I want to make sure I documented those. So those are at the top of the board. And then at the bottom of the board, I have these different pieces that I've pulled from. And I've looked on Dribble, I've looked on Behance, I've looked on Pinterest and just grabbed different things. So how I would classify Jack McDade and West Boss is this grunge effect that has these texture pieces. Some of it's the personality almost coming through. Like in this particular example, it's a cutout of a head with an illustrated shout coming out of it, which I thought was really interesting. I thought that would be fun to have James Head <laughs> doing something like that. But there's also this paper texture, kind of a scribble. I did include this typography example here that reminded me of hat show print. So if you're from Nashville, the hat show print is a big style that's really central to Nashville. But I know that James has spent some time in Nashville. I obviously live in Nashville, so I thought that would be fun to include. I included this one particular image called Run on the Wild Side. If you're listening on the podcast, it's split in half. There's a line going through it. And so one side is really clean and the other side is grungy and it works together. And so I thought that that might be an interesting concept as we're trying to Mm. figure out how much grunge we want to implement on the site. I've seen someone do that with their idea of being both a developer and a designer. So they kind of like oh, their big header cool. was kind of a split thing. And I, I think it had this like draggable bar mm-hmm. where you could show more of one side and it was like mm-hmm. color effects on each one that were different to represent like developer and designer. I thought that was really neat. That's fun. A couple of other different looks and feel. And you can see that these are drastically different. And the whole idea, again, is just to have conversations on the front end so that when I start designing, I know exactly what James is looking for. But I included this section, I'm calling it Nike, and it's taking big cues from their branding and marketing campaigns. So I know that James is huge into sports, and I would love the idea of being able to incorporate some feel of that into his site because we are trying to push it more towards a personality-driven site. Some of the things that they have are bright colors. They have large typography, but... There's also this example that I included of a potential landing page that's just these blocks of things. So it has like a block with a large number in it. It has an illustration with kind of these outlines on top of it that's really interesting. Some of these have, it looks like sports strategy drawings on top of them where you have these circles and X's and arrows with pieces moving around. Thought that that might be interesting, especially when you're talking about teaching and saying this goes over here or this Mm -hmm. relates to this. Oh, man, I have done some ridiculous scribbles in my day as a teacher, especially like (laughs) I was kind of infamous at FedEx for doing like architecture overviews. And it was just like as many scribbles on a whiteboard as I could possibly fit. That's fun. That kind of leads me into the next piece that I really want to do is to create a custom font for James that has this kind of handwriting component on top of it. And I included a few examples. I'm going to jump over what that might look like. So in this particular example, I initially pulled it because the color scheme is very similar to James's existing color scheme with these red photo overlays and a navy blue, but it does have these mixed in blocks of handwriting. And I just feel like that's a huge differentiator between what's currently out there and a very clean style. And it's not to say that this particular site isn't clean, but it does add this organic component. Yeah. So Avnish in the chat was asking, how do you create a custom font? So what would happen is I want to do it in his handwriting. And so he would write out all the letters of the alphabet, all the letters that we would want to use in the font. 
He would scan that in and send it to me. And then I can trace that in Illustrator. And there is a plugin that will allow me to convert that into a font. It's called Font Self. And there's a plugin for Illustrator and Photoshop. And the difference here is that with the Photoshop, I think that those letters would be rendered more as bitmaps, I'm guessing, so that you could include more things like texture. So if we wanted a grunge version of the font, I probably wouldn't do that for the web because that would drastically increase the file size of the font. And then if you're interested, when you get ready to convert a font for the web, the main resource that I use is Font Scroll. And this has a web font generator. So you can click on the generator tab here and you can upload a true type font or uh, open type font. So TTF or OTF, and it will convert it into a web font. And it actually spits out all the CSS that you need for the at font face. Yeah, when you first mentioned that, I was kind of like, this is one of the most off the wall ideas I've ever heard of. I I had no (laughs) idea that that sort of thing was possible. And it sounds like it's kind of reasonable if you take the time to write off the letters and scan it, then you can pull them in, which is pretty neat. Yeah, I think the thing that I like the most about it is when you're talking about trying to create something that's your personality, what is more your personality than your handwriting? (laughs) Like you own that. Nobody Mm -hmm. else can replicate that or duplicate that. And there's a balance, I think, when you're doing branding between following existing cues, but also trying to push things and do something different and zag where somebody else is zigged. Uh, What's up, Brandon is in the chat. (laughs) What if it's chicken scratch? Well, that's one of the things I mentioned to Amy at first. (laughs) And she was like, no, I saw your handwriting, like your signature on the contract. And I was like, that was a computer generated thing. I typed it in and and it did that. If I try, I can do decent handwriting, at least for this. But if you look at my notes, probably very few people would be able to understand my handwritten notes, to be honest. Brandon, if you're working with a client and you can't get something good from them, I would also say you could probably go to a service like Creative Market. I think there's a few other font foundries that are great, but you could download or you could purchase a font that either has the feeling of their brand or something that would complement their brand. So if I get James's sheet back of his handwritten letters, who knows? <laughs> we might resort to creative. You might just scratch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should, but again, you like have it in the contract that I have to send you a reasonable, readable, <laughs> legible set of characters. <laughs> Block the entire project. And actually, you know what? That might be a great thing to do on the stream. If people are interested, I could build the font see how to do that, yeah. on the stream. Yeah, we could at least do. Yeah, we'll, we'll plan on it. That'll be fun. Oh, assuming that that's the direction you want to move in. A few other things that I want to highlight, and I know we're getting close on time. I haven't gotten a lot of feedback from what James thinks about everything. (laughs) But here we have different color blocks. So this is a little bit more cleaner style that might be more in line with what he has right now. So I would consider this a little bit safer. But there are blocks of this that are very interesting. Like I really like the overlapping nature of the text and an image. And I like just how the Divination podcast I like the flow of this particular page. And I think that when you're talking about selling products or creating landing pages, you're trying to drive a person to a particular call to action. So this section is all, these are pretty like red focused and then pretty like hard Mm -hmm. lines. And that's right. I feel like the older me, the previous me would have like the clean, super sharp lines would have been more my style. And looking at these, the immediate thing that pops out is I don't want it to be like just pure rectangles and squares. So I like the overlapping elements that are in there too. I think that's really neat, but I don't like it being as hard in terms of the lines and exact 90 degree angles and that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting too when the 
the divination example, it's basically all hard lines. And then if you look at the middle CTA, the bottom of that rectangle is got these like curly or wavy ones, which almost in that specific example doesn't fit with the rest of the site. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I like the overlap. One of the other things, just since I'm talking, that kind of Mm -hmm. stood out to me if you go further to the right on the actual lights, or Uh I don't know if that's a French word or what, but it has numbers that are big, bold numbers, but also to kind of highlight these numbers, it's got this yellow streak to accent them. I really like that. That kind of stood out to me too. Just this random, non-traditional, not something that you'll normally see call out or emphasis on this number I thought was really cool. I'm just making a few notes within FigJam. You can drag post-it notes, which is pretty awesome. And there's also a stamp tool on here. So James could come through and thumbs up different pieces that he likes or use hearts or plus ones or stars or whatever. You've also got the little section in the middle of where we just were with the business cards. Those are super clean. They're just like a red background with a black logo or black background with a red logo and just super, super clean and simple. It's interesting. I have to figure out how to articulate and put all the things together in my head, which is a lot of what I'll lean on you for. But I like the simplicity of that, but not the hard lines of the stuff we just saw. And I also like the accents on things to help them stand out that we talked about a second ago. I feel like some of that feels a little contradictory in what I'm thinking. So it'll be a process to put all this stuff together. I don't think that the two are devoid of each other. And that's really why I included this example over here with the run on the wild side to show how those two styles are almost Mm -hmm. married. Because if you really Google grunge, some of the stuff is just crazy and off the wall. And I don't think that that's what you're looking for because you do want your brand to have a readability factor like this easy to understand, easy to digest because you are a teacher. You want to make sure that the content Mm -hmm. that you're communicating is straightforward. But at the same time, like you don't want something that's just like you said, boxes and lines and very boring. You don't want to swing to the other end. And so if you look at something going back to Jack McDade or West Boss, they have boxes and lines, but there's, again, that handwriting element or the texture behind the element adds this second layer to it that really separates it from a lot of other developer sites. And if I had to pick like a favorite of the thing mm-hmm. that I sent you, is it Jack McDade? Is that his last name? Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite. I think this is a little bit different of a conversation, but I'm oddly in love with his colors. He's got a bright blue and a dull yellow and a pink color. And I had a bright blue case for my iPad and my nephews always make fun of me for having like girly cases and stuff. But I've always like really enjoyed those colors. So if I had to pick like a favorite out of the stuff that we looked at so far, his stuff I think is right there. And he's got some it looks like it's probably like a handwritten font. I don't know if it's his or not, but he's got a handwriting font that I think pairs well with whatever the header font he's using there is. Yeah, that's right. So for anybody listening, Jack McDade is a designer and a developer, and he's behind Statomic, which is like a statically generated site based on Laravel, which is a pretty cool setup. That particular site is really good too. I took screenshots, but I didn't drop them here on the board. So I'll stick those in because the Statomic site has a similar feel to it. I'm just curious what your tolerance is for some of these components with the cutout head and the illustrations or some of these things that are a little bit more wilder with the abstract shapes. How do you feel Um, about those things? The head callout thing I think is neat. That obviously is pretty personal. Jack McDade has it on his. He's got a cutout Mm, of his head and uses that. So I think that's familiar there. I really like the idea of the run on the wild side, the juxtaposition of the really clean versus the grungy. I think that is really neat. I don't know what that relates to in terms of my personality or how I would use it or how we would use it for my contacts. But I do think that is really neat. 
on the Nike side, I like what I'm saying, but I don't know how to relate it back to me. I think this is a little bit of where my brain can't quite pick out. Although I say these things, this is again, going back to being self-deprecating. Because as I say that, you mentioned like the shapes and stuff and in that sticker that you're writing on this Nike mm-hmm. page that has these random shapes and colors and things in different places. I actually like that. I like the shapes, especially if they could be a little more subtle. Like if they were just part of the background, but it was kind of randomized. I think that is cool. But there's a lot of this that I just don't know how to interpret in terms of what it could look like on my site. So I'm not sure how to take it away from everything that's here and visualize it in something that would be mine, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And I think as we get into the design process, that's where it falls on me to figure out how those elements work with your brand in a way that is cohesive and represents you. I will say one additional call out right there on the bottom of that. There's like a pretty red heavy design. And we've talked about this a little bit before of struggling. If red is my main brand color, which I don't know that it needs to be. I don't know if we'll like revisit that far back, but I think using the red a lot less to make it really stand out. And you've had the feedback of like red also means stop or air. So to me, the one that is right here, that's too much red. I would like for that to be a much subtler part of the brand so that when it's used, like it really means something at that point. I don't know if I've gotten you a picture of this or not. One thing I've always loved is on hyperlinks. If it's underlined in a brand color like red, if you hover, it'll kind of fill up that rectangle to where Mm -hmm. it sits behind the text and takes up about half as tall of the height of the text, if that makes sense. I've always loved that effect. I think that's so cool. This has been really beneficial for me in just understanding where your head is at. And I hope that other people have seen this as beneficial if you're trying to do freelance and work with a client, or even if you're a developer and wanting to work with a designer, trying to understand what that process should and needs to look like. So the next section of the episode is picks and plugs, where we pick something that we like and we plug something that we've been working on lately. So James, do you have any picks and plugs for us today? Yeah. So I've actually, well, my wife started watching it and I've really enjoyed it as well. So we're big fans of Grey's Anatomy and we watch House and Scrubs is one of my favorite TV shows. And so she started watching Chicago Med. So they got Chicago PD and Chicago Fire. So this is kind of the third and I think they do some crossover stuff, but it's a typical, it's like ER and Grey's Anatomy. It's your typical, like kind of dramatic medical show. We're just kind of suckers for it. So we've really enjoyed that. We've been watching a good amount of that together this weekend. So it's been a lot of fun. We love finding new shows to sit back and relax and not really think about anything else for a while. So I recommend people checking it out. It's on Netflix. We started watching Chicago Fire after we moved mm. from Chicago, just because nostalgia, kind of nostalgic and, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Chicago Fire seemed a little bit more drama, like mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships. So we ended up switching over to Chicago PD and we really like Chicago nice. PD, but it is fun when they do the crossovers and we recognize yeah. some of the same characters from Chicago Fire and there's some where I know some of the characters in Chicago Med, but we haven't watched a lot of those episodes, yeah. but it's good. It's good. Very nice. You just sparked something in me and I'm, I'm going to rant, hopefully not too long <laughs> about the idea of crossovers. So I watch NCIS. I was in season 13. They have crossovers with the NCIS New Orleans and they did this crossover episode where they were together and something very dramatic happened at the end that didn't get resolved. And so the next episode, like it was resolved and they didn't say anything about it. I was like, what the hell just happened? And you had to go to the other show to watch the resolution to this thing. 
And, but they didn't even tell you. And I was like, how the hell would you know to do that? I had to look it up and I was so frustrated. I, did, I never watched it. I'd be kind of curious. So I just came back. But it's kind of interesting. You may be able to take crossovers too far sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago Med does the same thing because we had to watch a few of those episodes. Okay. Same thing. And they nice. also do some crossovers with, I think, NCIS, like Special Victims. Law and Order Special Victims? Oh, yeah. It was Law and Order. It's not NCIS. Yeah, you're right. Another classic. So anyway, the recommendation here is to go spend all your time on Netflix. (laughs) My pick for the day is uh, we talked about TikTok, so I I will pick that as well. Again, having lots of fun creating content there and and being creative and quirky and weird and hopefully funny. So James Q. Quick on TikTok. Amy, what about you for picks and plugs? Yes, I'm going to pick Notion. I know we've talked about Notion quite a bit, but there's specifically three different YouTube channels, and I'll include links to all these within the notes. But Marie Poulin, August Bradley, and William Nutt all have great starter videos on how to get up and running in Notion. But I basically run my life out of Notion, and we organize the podcast out of Notion. But I even had a issue this week. I tweeted about it where I keep all my inspiration in Notion. So I'll take screenshots of all these different websites and drop it all in Notion. You can drop a whole bunch of images all at once if it's in a grid format and it just uploads everything. It's awesome. And it wasn't working. And so I tweeted about it, just asking if they'd remove the functionality. Within two days, they said, oh, it's a bug and we fixed it. Try again. So I was just so amazed by their support system and being able to fix that. But it really is just a fantastic application. Go check that out. I think it's Notion. So yeah, notion.so. And I'm going to plug my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash self teach me. I am on every weekday morning from 9am to 10am central. And it's just been a great way to start my morning. Talk a little bit about everything from design to development to project management to working on a team. So I've had a lot of fun on various projects and hanging out with people in the chat. So come check it out again at twitch.tv slash self teach me. Look forward to implementing and finishing out the design and stuff that we talked about over the next couple of months. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, that's That's all all we got. got. (laughs) 